Positive. These are your hosts, Mari and MD. And today we'll be talking about different types of therapy that you may run into as you look for a therapist for yourself. Now, there are so many different techniques on the market that a person who doesn't know much about how therapy works would look at all the online listings on Psychology Today and other similar websites and be like, what is it do I need? And we're here to clear that up for you. Well, at least try to. At least try to, because when it comes to techniques, now everybody's trained in everything and things get a little messy. Yeah. To clarify one thing is that we'll have therapists who really do one type of therapy, some of them being evidence-based, and that means that there has been research on, research on them, that they've been studied, and that we know that they work to reduce uh, symptoms um, or um, increase well-being. I'm not saying heal because we know that in psychology things are a little bit more complex <laughs> than that. But so there are some techniques are evidence-based, other aren't. Some therapists will just so follow one of those techniques and are very specialized in it. And the other will be more integrative in their um, approach. Then that's a, the first difference. And in my opinion, it's very interesting to see someone who's really specialized in something, but also the integrative approach makes it more tailored to your needs mm. and you can adapt, you know, to whatever comes up in therapy. But the fact that, yeah, it's less evidence-based in that case, because uh, when a type of therapy is tested, it's following a very specific protocol. Also, someone who's mostly specialized in one technique can still adapt uh, it's here about the quality of the of the clinician of the therapist, and that's maybe the the most important factor. But maybe we'll we'll get back to that. In any case, you know, when it comes to psychology in the states, pretty much everyone and their mother is specialized in CBT these days, um, which is yes, as you said yourself, evidence based. It has gone through many clinical trials. There's tons of studies on working. Also, there are many different types of CBT. So yeah. CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy. And even if you don't know anything about psychology, you probably have heard the term in popular culture because that's like it seems to be the only way therapy is practiced nowadays. Um, CBT... In the US or... It's increasing increasingly more and more in, in Western Europe as well. Yeah, but like in France, psychodynamic approach will still be yeah. mostly prevalent. That's true. CBT is gaining popularity also because it's very easy to teach, I think. Yeah. You know, and it's very easy to implement because it follows a relatively strict protocol um, when it comes to, like, exercises, when it comes to, you mm-hmm. know, analyses and stuff. There's not really a lot of room for creativity in it, but mm-hmm. it also makes it kind of a one-size-fits-all type of thing. The the, the exercises that, that come with CBT are sometimes very, very useful. Yeah. So what is CBT? Okay, well, CBT basically focuses on challenging unhelpful thoughts. Um, the idea is that there's this triad between thoughts, um, behaviors, and emotions. And if you can change the way you think, then you can change the way you feel and the way you respond to certain things. That's pretty much how it works. Of course, it's much easier to work with thoughts because in psychology, that's kind of what we do. And the idea is basically... That if you think that you are a horrible person, we would slowly but surely dissuade you of that notion so that you wouldn't behave by, say, self-sabotaging or you Mm -hmm. wouldn't feel depressed about it or something like that. 
So it's pretty straightforward. It works a lot with uh, something called Socratic questioning. So kind of just making the person really reality check what it is they're going through. Yeah. Um, it's the kind down, of like... The downward arrow. Yeah, the downward you. arrow, you know, like... It, it basically makes you ask yourself the question, is what I'm feeling really this bad? Or is it me exaggerating things? Is it the things that I've experienced before making me feel this way? And how can I change my way of thinking to live a better, more positive life? And in the process, identifying healthy co-beliefs that you might have about yourself and sometimes the world. I'm not going to talk that much about CBT history because, I mean, I think you can look it up on your own. CBT started in the 60s and it built on the works of behavioral psychologists. So the stuff that you see above Pavlov, you know, repeating a certain behavior makes you more likely to do it. Historically, basically, you had Freud and psychoanalysis. Mm. After that became a psychodynamic approach. And on the other hand, you had like, most behavioral yeah. therapy approach that is like you know we observe behaviors and we work well from there yeah when like more Freudian approach will come from theory of the mind and how um the uh, psy- uh how is it called in the English psyche the conscious the psyche, yeah, psyche. The, psyche the psyche works mm. and that's yeah I'm, I'm it's very like simplistic approach mm. but so basically it was war for uh yeah. in the two school for like the longest time and now, more and more, we realize that a lot of the time we end up doing the same thing, just in a different way. Yeah. However, you know, for the longest time, psychodynamic or psychoanalytic at the time, therapy was the only form of therapy. And Freud's theories grew Especially in popularity. In yeah, in, in Europe. Grew, and Freud's theories and Jung's as well, they grew in popularity because there was no alternative. And then the behaviorists showed up and they could actually prove that their thing worked. The thing about psychodynamic therapy is that at the at it's first, not really evidence-based. Yeah, it's not really evidence-based. And at first, it was even hard to prove whether it worked because you just lie on a couch and talk yeah. about your dreams and then whatever your therapist, therapist, yeah. the psychologist in the room told you, you were supposed to take it at face value. You know, it was just an interpretation of how you felt, not necessarily a directed approach. It's, yeah, like, like traditional psychoanalysis, also you don't say anything. Yeah, but it's which is not that different from a person-centered approach. Yeah, I mean the person-centered approach has, I think, in my opinion, has um, what's the word like more solid tenets than Mm -hmm. psychodynamic approaches. You may notice that I am not very fond of that, but that's specifically because I don't like it, and also because I am I was taught in American systems where psychodynamic was never yeah. really examined as a technique per se. Well, I do have a psychodynamic background. And I think that two things that are very useful and then like attachment theories, for example, are can kind of part, you can, you can see them as part of psychodynamic yeah. approach. And those are very, very useful. Those are useful, yeah. So I wouldn't like just condemn psychodynamic. It's just that when it comes to uh, sexual and gender minorities, there's bad, there's bad blood. I mean, with therapy in general, there was bad blood because yeah. homosexuality has been a, was a disease in the DSM until the seventies, yeah. until the DSM three, I believe. So there's also, you know, the theories about Freud and this female sexuality specifically. Yeah, that are was also very harmful. But I want to kind of go back to that when we'll talk about trauma. Yeah, focused approaches because. You mentioned person-centered therapy, which I think is important to notice because I think after CBT, it's also the second easiest thing to learn to do because it's all about the the client. 
Yeah, I would say that the thing is CBT is very easy to start when you when you know when you just start doing therapy because yeah. you just implement a protocol more mm. or less. So you don't have to use yourself yeah. like as a therapist as a tool as much. When I think person centered, you have to keep yourself a lot more in check. That and also I think for person centered therapy, you have to have a lot of natural talent towards it. CBT yeah. like anyone can learn it, but when it comes to being truly empathetic and being validating. You have to be a very specific type of person. For yeah, it. I think I think there's a specific warmth, quality of um, in the way you relate to people that that you you have it or you don't have it. Like let's face it. So person-centered therapy. What is it? It was developed in the beginning of the '40s by Carl Rogers. Hence, it also sometimes being called Rogerian psychotherapy, and it basically focuses on this idea that all people. Thank you. That all people have a tendency to self-actualize, and then there's there's this like tendency towards growth. If you think about Maslow's the pyramid of needs, mm -hmm. at the very top is this idea that we have to self-actualize, and that's what this type of therapy kind of aims to do. And yeah, the idea is that we all have within yourself um, the resource to basically heal ourselves. And a lot of this therapy, like. There's not necessarily, let's say, a bunch of techniques that you can follow like you do in CBT, but there are certain tenets that you need to follow, like unconditional positive regard. I'm allergic to this term after master's degree. Yeah, but basically the thing is, the idea is that to access this inner resource that you have mm. to heal yourself, you have to, like the therapist helps you to do that by accepting you entirely as you are giving you like positive regard, uh, validation, empathy. Um, but the thing is, I think that every therapist should know the basic of person-centered therapy because that's how you build a rapport, how you build a relationship. Uh, we say a therapeutic alliance in French, actually, uh, to the expression we use. Uh, you need to build that for the therapy to work. Even if you follow a protocol yeah, like CBD, you, CBT, you need... You need to have a good rapport. You have to, to you have to the client has to trust the therapist. A protocol can work no matter what, but you will have much better results mm. if there's this very specific link that exists between the, the client and the therapist. And person centered is the basis too. Yeah, it's the basic stuff. So like the three points that all therapists need to learn when they're part of this school of, of therapy, but also in general is unconditional positive regard or acceptance, mm -hmm. um, congruence or genuineness, and empathic understanding. So this form of therapy, it's a lot about reflection. It's a lot about encouraging the person towards growth. It's a lot about um, you know, improving areas of life that need, need improving. And it's really up to the client how they decide to proceed with therapy because this is their time. And Rogerian therapy really puts an emphasis on that. Person-centered is like, for me... B basics mm. basics of therapy a good person-centered therapist can get you far but you have to be ready to i mean talk that mm -hmm. you're the one bringing like directing the session mm -hmm. so you have to be ready to talk and you don't want to expect them to tell you that much they, they won't intervene that much uh, especially in the beginning yeah um and there will be no exercises no no nothing like super directive so if you want something more structured like purely person-centered is not for you yeah 
And based, you know, on what we just talked about, CBT and person-centered therapy, I think this is a good segue into acceptance and commitment therapy. Yeah, so, and on the other hand, just CBT, if you want to follow protocol, mm. you want to feel that you're making progresses, do homework. Also, you have only a few sessions because it's only the only thing that your insurance yeah. reimburses, and that's also why CBT is so popular. It's because in, like, in a AIDS session um, in plan, you can do something... It won't be deep, life-changing, long-term life-changing therapy. I mean, not in my opinion, mm. but it can really teach you very useful tools, provide great support. Yeah. And absolutely. a very, very good start for you to know yourself better and understand what's going on and, and get a grip on symptoms that are really bothering you. Yeah. The way I see it, CBT is like a gateway to therapy. Like if you can get through CBT and you like it or it works for you or it's something that you know holds your attention and you feel comfortable with the therapist in the room of course it also depends on the therapist then you can progress towards like higher forms of therapy <laughs> i mean i don't know i don't want to make a make a classification we're going to have so many comments about that i know right uh, but you know in my opinion cbt is good for stuff like I mean, very minor trauma, phobias. Look, it's, it's because that's how we use it. Yeah. Both of us as a starting point with mm. some clients, not everyone. Mm. Some people really just do that. There are very specific protocols and other ways of doing CBT that we don't necessarily know about. Mm -hmm. And it is, it works with a lot of things. It also works like with um, obsessive compulsive disorders, that kind of thing. Yeah. I do personally believe that there are better things to do for that. Yeah. Um, and that's not a technique that I will favor for that kind of thing. Mm. But again, for some people, it can really work. And also, it's affordable. It's pretty short. Mm. And you have results in a short time. And when people are under uh, financial constraints, it's a very good solution. That is true. But CBT is not for you if you want to be able to rent like for an hour to your therapist. Yeah, which a lot of people go to therapy for. Yeah. So anyway, acceptance and commitment therapy, it's... Not necessarily based on CBT, but it does draw on some parts of it. Um, it's a branch of behavioral analysis. And it basically focuses on techniques of acceptance and mindfulness to change behaviors and to accept emotions. So instead of changing emotions like we do in CBT, it actually makes you face like all the unpleasantness that you're working with, uh, take a mindful approach toward it, and then determine how your actions drive you toward or away from the values that you um, want to achieve. So it's pretty straightforward. It works quite well, actually, um, according to some of the reading that I've done. It works quite well for uh, people who are uh, part of gender or sexual minorities mm -hmm. because it also allows you to explore your yourself and living as your true self. And there, there have been multiple studies done on the subject of using ACT as uh, a technique for um, for LGBTQ clients, and it has been proven to be quite effective, not only in dealing with sexuality and gender issues, mm -hmm. but also depression, uh, minority stress in general, um, eating disorders, anxiety, etc., etc., etc. Yeah, I think when it comes to uh, working on very specifically, okay, it's I was going to say to work specifically on gender-related or sexual orientation-related issues. Approach can be more useful than others, but also it depends on the person. And what happens a lot of the time is that in sexual minorities or gender minorities clients, the presenting problem originally won't be about that. You know, you come 
you can see you could see your psychologist for depression and maybe your depression is absolutely has nothing to do with your anxiety it has nothing to do with you being queer but there's a high chance that they're the link yeah because the idea i mean you wrote a whole paper on this but uh the idea when it comes to minority stress it does cause significant mental health issues mm. if especially if you don't have a strong minority identity which is i think part of the work that we do is try to develop that um, along with developing coping strategies to deal with minority stress and deal with discrimination and you know it's it's hard to navigate something like living in a world that doesn't accept you and still trying to stay positive yeah there is a lot of work that goes into that and reaching that point where you are you don't necessarily agree with the word the way the world treats mm -hmm. you you are able to accept that this is how things are for now that doesn't mean you have to stop fighting but if fighting is not something you can do at the moment you can take a step back mm. and just accept yourself. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that also is linked to what we do in narrative therapy as well. Yeah. Is that we, we already talked a lot about that. We talked therapy. a lot about it, but just to recap quickly, it's a way of deconstructing dominant narratives mm. and restructuring your life story in a way that suits you best. You know, because a lot of the times if you experienced trauma or discrimination, you don't feel a sense of agency in your life. You feel like your story was taken away from you. And reauthoring that story, you know, finding, uh, not necessarily finding other people or things to blame for what happened to you, mm -hmm. but owning that story and integrating it into your biography, that's a very important part of processing various kinds of trauma, discrimination, dark things that lurk in our past in general, etc. Yeah, yeah and I mean, there are a lot of, of things to say about that, but we already have covered it, mostly. So any other technique? I mean, I was also you... thinking about emotional focus therapy, mm -hmm. which, I mean, I think we learned as part of couples therapy. Yeah, and I think for couples is really great. Um, it basically talks about the fact that human emotions are a reflection of our needs. And if we can explore our emotional responses to certain things, if we can dig deeper to see where those emotions originate, we can understand the need behind it and... If you expose that need and you fulfill that need, that reduces the emotional response that makes it, you know, makes you a more, a more, say, stable human being, if you will. It's also called process experiential therapy. Sometimes people use that name. And it's a lot about changing problematic emotional states and interpersonal relationships, which is why it's great for couples therapy is if you can figure out, say, why someone in a relationship is shouting, what is the need behind that? And that need can be discussed in therapy in a couple, mm. couple or poly um, format. You know, th those needs can be addressed in communication that's better can be established. Yeah. And the thing here, like we talked about CBT, CBT, you're going to mostly work about cognition on thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, because, I mean, we talked about the behavioral history behind it, but also a whole bunch of psychology, which is cognitive psychology that's helped to create like CBT. But... Uh, and here we're going on uh, EFT, you're going to work more on emotion. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's really also interesting to do all this work on emotions um, and for things that are integrate both emotional and uh, cognitive work. Mm -hmm. uh, I just wanted to uh, quote quickly DBT. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, yeah, okay. Dialectical Behavioral Therapy, thank you. Yeah, which is originally was developed to um, work with borderline personality disorders. Um, they're going like there's a full like protocol to follow uh, also in group therapy with DBT group therapy it's very interesting 
um, very American, not always necessarily adapted to European people or non American, just non American. I mean, I don't, I, I don't want to generalize. Just know that some European and at least French people don't necessarily respond super well to that. If you uh, just do it as it is supposed to be, as it is designed, mm-hmm. but there are always very useful tools in there. But if you are, uh, if you are. Uh, dealing uh, with borderline personality disorder or have borderline tendencies, which is it's okay. Mm. And DBT is a great tool to help you manage it. Yeah. Uh, and, and really get better pretty quickly, actually. I think DBT is just very good. Again, it's like it's the kind of technique that everyone can do yeah. and everyone can learn at least parts of it that are pertinent to your case. Mm-hmm. And what it does great is it integrates acceptance and mindfulness just like ACT does Mm -hmm. it also allows you to like label your emotions which a lot of people have a hard time doing Mm -hmm. which is part of the reason why they're in distress and manage the the part of DVD that I use the most with my Mm -hmm. clients at least is the distress tolerance part so really manage crisis situations where like rational thought which is required of you if for example you were to employ CBT you know, when you're freaking out, you can't really think rationally. It's very hard to make yourself calm down. Yeah. So that first step of calming yourself down, that is what DBT does a really great job of teaching you. Yeah, and does bring... like Also, they have this amazing handouts about emotions mm-hmm. because we all think that we know what emotions are. It turns out that most people don't necessarily know. Yeah. We have ideas about what emotions are and also, I mean, emotions are very deeply personal, specific. Like, we all... We all we are all different, and the way we experience emotions is always different, but there's a common core and a way that we can talk about our emotions, we can communicate about them, and DBT uh, is very helpful to work on that. But also emotional uh, focus EFT mm-hmm. uh, will, uh, will also help with that. And... Yeah, I think we already talked about a lot of things. I just wanted to add something about psychodynamic therapy because yeah. we just touched upon it earlier and you don't like it. I don't like it, no. Um, today, okay, there will be psychoanalysts that I don't necessarily want to talk too much about right now. Also because there are psychoanalysts who are not psychologists. And, okay, some of them are good and some of them are really bad. And also psychoanalysis is not for everyone, but as... All those approaches and techniques. You know what? Some are uh, good for some people and others are better for other people. Um, but psychodynamic, if you want to, you're going to see a psychodynamic uh, therapist. Basically, you're going to talk a lot. <laughs> um, but when the person-centered therapist will just validate and maybe reframe what you're saying to help you get your own understanding of it. The psychodynamic therapist is going to propose a suggest interpretation uh, following psychodynamic theories, uh, which with, with, which you don't have to agree with them. <laughs> it's also see whether or not it's going to um, uh, resonate uh, with you. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, for some people, it works very well. For others, not at all. <laughs> it really depends also what your cultural background is. Yeah. Um, I think the the best part, like you mentioned yourself, of, mm-hmm. of psychodynamic therapy is the attachment theories. Yeah, those like I unashamedly use, and I think for a lot of people, there's a lot of comfort that comes from those theories. If you yeah. can explain, and it also to them. they're very much evidence based. Yeah, 
because there's a lot of work that has been done or, or, or like not necessarily about the therapy but at least the the um the idea of the, idea, the, uh, yeah, the theories behind it yeah. are, are very well um uh are very are very clear yeah um and the other techniques that i really wanted to talk about is uh is emdr because it's one that i use your baby my baby <laughs> eye movement desensitization and reprocessing uh, which is a fully evidence-based approach. It was created uh, in the US by Francine Shapiro, who passed away a few months ago, yeah, weeks ago, very like recently, very, very yeah. recently. Uh, it's interesting because it was a hunch at first, and then it was uh, there was a lot of research on it, and I realized that it was really working, and there's a protocol to follow, and a protocol that keeps evolving to be more and more... Um, Adaptive? Adaptive and, and um, effective. Mm. And so the idea of EMDR is that we all have trauma with big T, like huge trauma in our life, or small traumas, and that those events are traumatic because they were not well stored in our brain, that we could not process them when they happened because it was too much. And those traumas are also created or reinforce negative beliefs that we can have about ourselves. And the idea is that we're going to work on those events and doing a bilateral stimulation, which is eye movements, or actually um, tapping, or even sound stimulation. Those stimulations are going to put the brain in something that is pretty close to what happens when you sleep and when you dream. So basically, we're making the, the brain dream. It's not hypnosis because there's no suggestion, at least if the protocol is followed. <laughs> um, there's sometimes a little bit of help when the client might be stuck in a painful memory, but no suggestion. And I find it's a very, very interesting technique because the protocol is evidence-based, but you can also use it within another type of therapy. Uh, so it is integrative and integrable <laughs> you can really put it uh, like use it in different ways I, mean, I really really like it i use it a lot uh on major traumas but also smaller stuff um and i also find it very interesting because working on trauma with minorities sexual minorities or uh, gender minorities client uh there's there's an effect of like the general uh, self-acceptance and identity it's more something that I observed, more something that has been researched. I mean, I hope to be able to research it very soon. Um, so I would uh, recommend the MDR for a lot of things. It's easier when you have an actual like traumatic memory to work on or traumatic past. But generally, we always find something. Um, but the thing is, for EMDR, you need to have like to make sure that the person you're doing it with has been properly trained and is following the protocol. And knows how to stabilize you because when it comes to trauma, it's basically exposure therapy. Uh, but I mean, with a big twist on it, but we have to, you have to be exposed to remind yourself of difficult events of your life. And it's very important that your therapist knows how to stabilize you and to make sure that you're not... It's a, it's a very powerful technique, so you have to make sure that your therapist knows how to make you safe, feel safe. Yeah, so you don't go home feeling like shit, shit, and that reliving the traumatic events. Yes, yeah. and over I know and over. that being in private practice, I have the luxury of doing longer session. Mm. Also, more expensive, I have to say, but <laughs> longer session with my uh, EMDR clients when I know that we're going to touch a, a, a painful memory, so that I'm sure that they leave while being fully stabilized, 
And I know for a fact that it's not always the case. Yeah, especially in the Netherlands. <laughs> I mean, at least in, in some uh, structure where it's not always possible because, because there are a lot of constraints. You know, if you have a 45-minute session, in, in the mm. experience that we've had so far, EMDR can't last 45 minutes. It has to be longer than that. I mean, no, you can do in 45 minutes, mm. but you have to just like start right away almost mm. and, and finish early enough so that you can stabilize the person, which means that you don't have the time to just the person into it, ask about their week, because I think it's always important, because if the person has been distressed the previous week, you're not going to go tackle, uh, go back to the memory you've been reprocessing. You might decide to do like a talk session instead, if the person is not ready, is not stable enough for that. Well, in any case, there is a whole bouquet of different therapy mm-hmm. techniques, and there is new techniques emerging left and right. I would highly recommend reading Mindfulness and Acceptance for Gender and Sexual Minorities, um, edited by Matthew Skinta and Aisling Curtin, uh, which is the book that I mentioned when talking about ACT and mindfulness for gender yeah. and sexual minorities. It's a very good book, and it's written in pretty understandable language. If you're not a therapist, it might be a little bit of a heavy read, but I think it's still pretty interesting to read, especially if you're going through issues of struggling with your yeah. with your identity. Uh, and also a shout out to one of our listeners who shared with us uh, a technique that they developed in conjunction with other scientists, Tanya Israel. Thank you for sharing it with us. Um, it's a study that looking at the effects of a certain technique aimed at reducing internalized bi negativity online. Yeah, they developed like a full protocol uh, online. I mean, to, to, you can use online. I don't think it's actually available, but it's very interesting how. Basically, it's um, it's exposure to um, to work on your uh, beliefs, stereotypical beliefs about bisexuality. Um, that's a that's a model that assesses the validity of commonly held stereotypes. Yeah, and also um, presents evidence against them. Uh, the model about identifying and rejecting negative messages that we receive. You know, like in our daily life, we all have like those microaggression, negative messages that hurt us and then uh, a model that works on the rejection of um, the negative messages mm-hmm. that reinforces this rejection affirmations yeah um, no. in like a more narrative way and also like validating positive aspects of being bisexual and, uh, and affirming that with images so this is a very interesting technique I would love to see where it goes maybe to work with other sexual and gender minorities yeah um, so thank you for sharing this with us we love seeing Uh, new techniques like this and new studies arise because this is something that we do as a job like every day and it's good to know that there is a growing toolbox of resources and if we're going back to the first question is it how to find your therapist and know which kind of which kind of um technique things that i'd say is that of course you have to feel comfortable with your therapist they have to have like i mean i was going to say yeah human skills to make them make you feel safe and comfortable that's the first thing um, then you want them to be actually knowledgeable about therapy mm. and if they can be knowledgeable about um, LGBTQ people and the very specific stressor that we face it's a plus because as we see with the kind of technique something that works very well no matter what no matter which theoretical approach or no matter which technique is also used one thing that is very useful Important. It's not just useful. Important when it comes to working on internalized stigma is psychoeducation. You need a therapist who can explain things to you, and with, with whom you can talk about that. Yeah. 
we can we can really adapt, understand what is your very specific uh, situation and the stressors that you face that a straight person won't face, a straight cis person won't face. And I would say if you're looking for a therapist, like if you're looking to see results right away, you need to find a therapist who can not only validate you, but also challenge you. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you need validation and that's the only thing you're looking for, which sometimes clients do, then going for a Rogerian or a psychodynamic therapist might be the way to go. But if you want to be, you know, pulled out of this negative state that you're in, looking for someone challenging and yet firm and affirming um, is a very good idea. And I think also, I shouldn't be saying this as a therapist because it's terrible for the business, but you should shop around and really find someone who fits. Uh, because a lot of the times what I hear from people is that they're kind of afraid of leaving their therapist because they feel bad about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very wrong because you are there as it's, a client. It's understandable. It's understandable because no one wants, like you don't want to make your therapist feel bad by leaving. But also you are essentially there to get a service. And if you feel like that service isn't being provided to you for whatever reason, even if, you know, your therapist is going out of their way to help you, but it just isn't clicking, it's absolutely fine yeah. to, to say goodbye. And also a therapist should be able to hear that, yeah. to receive that kind of criticism. Also, if you are generally happy with your therapist, but that one thing that they're doing you don't like, yeah. tell them. Yeah, I think any therapist should be able to receive constructive criticism. And any therapist should be able to tolerate, you know, a client who perhaps is not in the best mental state, who sometimes gets emotional. Yeah, because even if your um, criticism is actually not funded, because sometimes it happened. Yeah, it but it's it's interesting for the therapy to bring it up. Exactly. It's interesting because the therapeutic relationship is one of the most important tenets of any technique. You have to have a good working relationship. And the basis of a good relationship is... I don't know if you knew that, communication. So if you can communicate to your therapist that this just isn't working for you and the therapist can accept that, hear that, and change it, or at least discuss what that means for you, then I believe that that can vastly improve the process of therapy and lead you to the goals that you actually want to see. And I, and, and, and last thing, very last thing, <laughs> that one thing, one, one way of knowing if your therapist is actually knowledgeable is to ask them to explain to you what they're doing and how change is supposed to operate. Mm -hmm. um, because uh, if they can explain it to you, is that they actually know what they're doing. Yeah. If they don't understand themselves what's happening, it, there, there's a problem there. Yeah. And then, as you said, like changes, change requires work yeah. on both sides. Absolutely. The very last thing. Um, <laughs> You should never leave therapy feeling worse than when you started. That's not the point of therapy. Yeah. A lot of people think that it's supposed to be this like really confrontational experience, and it is at times, but the goal of therapy is to improve your well-being. So if you feel your therapist's office week after week feeling like absolute crap, then they're not doing their job. It can happen to feel a bit, eh, after one particular session yeah. where you were confronted. But if it's like a consistent pattern, yeah. run. <laughs> Also, you need to be able to talk about it with a therapist, as I said earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have any of these techniques worked for you? Are there any techniques that we haven't discussed that you would like to hear more Do about? Do you disagree with us entirely? 
We can we can take it. We can we can take <laughs> constructive criticism because we're professionals. Um, in any case, please leave us a comment on Twitter. We would love to hear about your experience. Otherwise, we will talk to you in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.